last week. I hope you guys enjoyed this kind of different kind of approach to things, and I hope that you guys were encouraged to reach out to one another uh, in prayer during the week. Encourage one another. Um, so we are going to continue back after um, Samson. We're going to go now to Samuel. So let's open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. First Samuel. It says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to go dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. It was then that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here I am. And he ran unto Eli the priest and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I called, I didn't call you, lie down again. And he went and laid it down. And you go back to the previous slide. And the Lord called yet again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not know yet the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be. And if he calls you, you are to say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. So Samuel went and laid it down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Amen? <clears throat> so today's message um, is actually, I'm uh, giving it an official title. It's the candle and the flame. And so let's get into this here. We go to the next slide, the second slide. You see here actually the story of Samuel is involving uh, four characters, maybe even five characters. But most of us know of maybe just one or two or possibly three. Now, the way it works here is we have three real main characters in the story that we know of. Hannah, Samuel, and Eli. Now, for those of you who may not be uh, real familiar with the story of Samuel, Hannah is Samuel's mother. Okay? Uh, her name, Hannah, uh, means grace in Hebrew. Uh, the story goes that she is barren. She can't have a child. And she cries out, cries out, cries out to the Lord. In fact, at one point, they think that she is, in fact, drunk because she's just crying and sobbing in such words by the Spirit. Uh, some, some Spirit-filled Pentecostal thing may even be, like, really a sign of, like, early days of speaking in tongues, maybe. She's just, she's babbling. People are like, are you drunk? What's going on? And she's crying out to the Lord, if you just give me a son... I vow to consecrate him to you all the days of my life, all the days of his life. And she has a son. She calls him Shmuel, asked of God. Now, what's so interesting here, right there is a lesson. How many of us ask for something from the Lord and say, once I get it, I'm going to give it to him? 
I'm going to consecrate my job to you. I'm going to consecrate my car to you. I'm going to consecrate my house to you. Whatever you give me, Lord, I'm going to give you it back. I want you to use it. I want, to be, I want it to be a vehicle for an act of ministry. The thing that she wanted most in her entire life, above anything else, was a child. And as soon as she gets a child, and the child is weaned from her breast, she gives it to the Lord. And he now spends the rest of his days in the tabernacle of the Lord. Man, that's someone who loves the Lord. You gave it to me so you get it right back. Uh, Samuel is a boy who is consecrated. He actually takes on the Nazarite vow, which means he's not allowed to touch any uh, dead thing. He has to keep his hair grown out. He's not allowed to shave his, his hair, his face, just like uh, Samson. And he's consecrated, and he's going to learn to be a priest, essentially like a prophetic priest. <clears throat> and he ministers to, to God from the from very beginning of his life. Then we have Eli, who is essentially Samuel's like teacher. Eli is the priest. He's taking the young kid underneath his wings, showing him the way it works in the tabernacle. Eli meaning Eli, my God, is his name. He, uh, he's got some family problems, if you read the rest of the story. His sons, who are also priests, are disobedient. In fact, it's so bad that it says in 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verse 17, that his sons are receiving the offerings unto the Lord, and they steal the money. They steal the meat. I mean, it's pretty bad that this father, who's a priest, obviously hasn't really taken too much attention uh, to invest in his kids. That is a man, a priest, who has a title. Oh, he's got a title. But it doesn't seem that he is truly fulfilling its assignment. So, We zero in on the story of Samuel. We have a tendency uh, to what I call romanticize the characters of the Bible. Like, are you telling me the disciples never sat around the fire and broke wind? You heard me correctly. Let's just let's just disarm that that religious spirit. Are you telling me? And when the disciples were sitting around the campfire and they had some fish that no one broke wind, a bunch of guys hanging out together. Are you telling me that these characters did not have difficulties, hard times, questions, thoughts, insurities, problems, baggage? Moses kills a man in his rage. Peter cuts the ear off of a Roman soldier. When he's saved, he does that. So we have a tendency to look at these characters with, oh, they had such wonderful lives. You know, if the Lord just came to me like that, I would, I would be able to hear the Lord's voice, and I would be able to do this, that, and the other. We romanticize. And let's think about this. Samuel is born. I'm sure he knows the circumstances by which he was born. His mother was barren and cried out to the Lord. And the Lord came to her essentially and gave him, gave her Samuel. Think about the type of potential bloated ego that you could have. Oh, I'm a consecrated one. My mother prayed for me for years and I was born. 
now is so much different than all the others because priests would not just go when they were born into the tabernacle, but I'm a special case. So when I was a little boy, I've been spending my whole time in the presence of the Lord. Now I'm not saying he had necessarily an ego, but that's a little bit of his background. And then on top of that, he has Eli's sons who are priests. Who are the next ones to be in charge when Eli goes down, if you will. And he see, they see that Eli is spending all this time with Samuel. Someone not of their family paying special attention. I'm sure Eli's sons had some daddy issues, which we saw in the scripture. Samuel's a little boy. He's got all this on. In some way, he had to have some of that on. The expectation of that he was going to be this mighty prophetic priest that the Lord has spoken for. And at that time, an added pressure. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. No one really in Israel is hearing the voice of the Lord. No prophet has come forth. And I imagine that little Samuel growing up, if he got wind of these prophecies that were spoken over him, he had to be sitting here like, I must be the one. I'm saying all this because Samuel's a boy. We can't romanticize these characters all the time. He has thoughts. He had concerns. I'm sure he liked the girls. But he's like, oh, but I'm consecrated to be in the tabernacle right now. I'm sure he had a whole bunch of gamut of things that were going on. This is for a human being. And so the Lord speaks. And I believe that Samuel had some level of this, 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 this expectation that he had a job to fulfill. We actually see this because when the priest calls him, which is really God, he thinks it's Eli. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 5, he runs. Yes, yes, boss man. Eli, the boss. Yeah, what, you spoke to me, boss. What, what can I do? Teach you, teach you, teach What do you want? In the middle of the night. Then he hears a voice again and he, he arises. Scripture is very clear. He says, he arose. Went to Eli. Then he, sorry, he ran. And then he arose in two separate circumstances. Meaning that this is a kid who's taking his job very seriously and just wants to please the, the priest. Eli is his teacher, is probably his father figure. And he wants to please, please, please. Like, that's what he wants. It's hard. But he also probably has some level of baggage, I think. Now, this is the odd thing here. He does not know the Lord. And he did not know the Lord's voice. Samuel is a man who ministers to the Lord, but yet does not know his voice. I want to let that sink in. Samuel ministers to the Lord, but yet does not know the Father's voice. He has a lot of expectations on his life. The word of the Lord is rare in those days. He's going to be the one. He's He's the God. He's the guy that's going to bring revival. God. He's the God. But he's also very busy learning the craft, learning the ways of being a priest. He's been he's busy ministering the temple, like in the temple or things that he had to do. You got to burn candles, light up incense, do sacrifices, all this kind of stuff. And he's busy doing ministering things. <clears throat> See, Samuel and also Eli 
have not learned nor experienced the intimacy to hear the voice of the Lord. We say it again. Samuel and Eli have not learned nor experienced the intimacy in order to hear and I believe there's a lot of people in the church, the big C church of the world, that minister to the Lord, but yet could not and cannot hear the Lord's voice. We can be really heavy burdened with a lot of expectations on your life and what you're supposed to do as a mother, as a father, as a pastor, as a worship leader, as a congregant, as a worker. We can be so busy and even doing good things. We got to feed the poor. We got to help the homeless. We got to do this. We got children's We got all this stuff that's going on. But you cannot minister properly unless you have the intimacy to know the Father's voice. But the good news, First Samuel chapter three verse seven says, Samuel has not yet heard, yet signifying that it will be. It's not that he doesn't hear the word of the Lord. It's that he has not yet heard the word of the Lord. The reality, the effect, the truth of the matter is the Lord's coming. The Lord is speaking. The Lord is taking his good old little time with him and saying, all right, I'm going to speak to him once, twice, thrice. Now, this is probably the only real good part of Eli's instruction as a priest after the second or third time, right, second time, uh, Eli says, you know what? I think the Lord is speaking to you, man. So why don't you do this? Go lie down and rest. The Lord shall speak. You see, sometimes the Lord, what he has to do is he has to work in an opposite spirit of what we're working. Many of us, especially if you're American, especially if you're a blue-collar background, background, you know, you work. You, you do your time. You you swipe your time card. You do nine to five. You work hard. You pull an overtime. You provide for your family. You do, you do, you do, you do. Some of this can actually leak into our thinking in our spiritual atmosphere, spiritual way of thinking. Well, if I just put in my time with the Lord, if I just do with the Lord, he's going to be able to bring revival. He's going to be able to, be able to grow further in our faith. But if you're pulling that up as an idol, if I'm going to do it, the Lord is just going to work in the opposite ways. You know what? Actually, I want you to do the opposite. I want you to just stop. I want you to just rest. We need to learn how to rest in the presence of the Lord. So Samuel, the doer, is now told to rest. And that's when the Lord speaks. <clears throat> now, there's a sermon right there, but there's more, if I may. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 2, it says, And it came to pass at the time when Eli, the priest, was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim. He was losing his eyesight, that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. This is the context of both Eli and Samuel not being able to hear the voice of the Lord. What's the context? Eli is old. He can't see anymore. He's tired. And it was right before the flame was quenched. Every word 
of the Bible has been put there for a reason. There's no small word. There's no, oh, there's a the there, who cares? Every single letter of Hebrew, every single letter of Greek is signifying a spiritual importance. Look, this is a word that has come to us throughout the ages. And it has not been an easy task to protect the word, to make sure it is here for generation after generation after generation. In Greek times, about 150 B.C., Jews were slaughtered for keeping this book in their possession. They hid it. They ran. They kept it. Without it, we would not have it. Slaughtered. Killed. Crucified. For having a copy of it. In more recent times, you saw the same thing. We go to the next slide. In Nazi Germany, during the infamous book burning, a whole plethora, a whole bunch of different books were burned, but particularly anything that was written by Jewish authors. It could be music. Benny Goodman, famous uh, jazz artist of the 1930s and 40s, uh, his, his compositions, his records were burned because he was Jewish. Uh, and he also had black people that were playing in his band. The Germans were not into that. But also, Torah scrolls. The Bible written in Hebrew were to be burned. There is an importance in every letter, man. And there are unbelievable stories that take place of those people throughout the ages that held on, risked their lives to keep the word. Go to the next slide. Here's a little bit of a story so you get a little feeling of what it would have really been like. Despite the dangers, however, many Jewish people refused to stand by and allow the Nazis to burn the Bible. Two cases are illustrative. In Benden, or Benzin, northwest of Krakow, where there was a concentration camp, a gas chamber, the Nazis set fire to the synagogue and to the adjoining houses. Any Jew leaving his home was shot. And Mr. Schlesinger, along with his son and son-in-law, broke into the burning synagogue, each rescuing two Torah scrolls. Torah scrolls are the Hebrew word for the Bible, okay? And as they left, they were shot to death by the Nazis. In Vidava, or Vidua, southwest of Lodz, Nazi officers found a Torah scroll hidden in the house of Abraham Mordecai Morocco, the young married town rabbi. They ordered him to tear it up or they would burn him alive. When he refused to tear up the holy word of God, they poured benzene, a chemical, over him and set him on fire. Principalities want this word to be diminished. And I'm telling you that throughout the ages, people have made it so important to keep every jot and tittle as the word says. Every every uh, you know what I'm saying. Every little piece of the word, there is significance and power in each word. 
even go back to the first slide. The candle and the flame. We have Hannah, Samuel, and Eli. But there's also two other characters, abstract ones apparently. Candle and the flame. <clears throat> Protection of the word. It says in 1 Samuel, Ve'nir Elohim taram yakabatosef. And before the lamp of God was quenched, Lord speak. Before the candle, before the lamp was, was smothered out. And actually in Hebrew it says, Yakabah, it says, actually technically it says, before he is being quenched. It takes on the male root. Before he is being quenched, before the candle is being quenched, it's at that point that the Lord says, I'm going to speak. Exodus chapter 27, verse 20 declares that in the tabernacle, the lamp, the candle, the fire was to burn continually in the temple. This is the importance of this story. You hear not his voice, it's time to tend to the candle. You see, Eli is sleeping. He's sleeping while the flame is about to go out. He was supposed to keep that candle burning. Why? Because it signified the presence of God in the tabernacle. And he's old. And he's tired. And he's got family problems. And he just wants to sleep. But the candle is just about to go out. He does not fan the flame of the Spirit, as it says in 2 Timothy. He is not paying attention to the Ruach, to the Spirit of God. So then, therefore, he becomes a man that ministers, but hears not the Lord's voice. We can minister, but you will not hear the voice of the Lord unless you tend to the candle and the flame. You see, the flame is him. The candle is us. I am the candle. I am the wick. You are the flame. The flame can't ignite a candle that is dead. It has no light. You've got to trim back the wax a little bit to expose the wick so the flame can come right Oh, Pentecost Sunday, people. I don't come up with this. I just look at the counter like, wow, it's Pentecost Sunday. It's pretty cool. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10 says, The Lord came and stood and awakened Samuel. You see, the Lord comes and speaks to awaken. Was that again? The Lord comes and speaks to awaken you from your slumber. Right before the flame's about to go out, God knows that he has to step in or the flicker of the candle will go out in the tabernacle. He says, I got to wake these people up. Let me wake them up. Let me stir in their hearts a little bit. Come on, what have you guys been doing? You've been sleeping all night not paying attention to the candle. You're not paying attention to the presence. We are the candle and he is the flame. They are the fourth and fifth characters of this story. And many people just jump over. Why does Samuel not hear the voice of the Lord? All this kind of stuff. All these ideas. Because you got to stop and you got to say every word has been saved. People have been burned alive to keep every little piece of ink on that paper. 
Why does it say this? Why? It's so weird. Right before the candle is being quenched, that's when the Lord speaks. Okay, let me just keep reading the story. No, that is the story. That is the story. Right before it's about to go out, the Lord speaks and awakens the people. Come on. It's time to awake. Spirit of the living God here, I've called you to be a prophet and a priest. Get on up. Wake up. Hear my voice. Stop ministering so much. Come to me in intimacy. I do not want to just minister. I want to hear his voice. And in fact, I want to minister out of hearing. We got enough people that minister that don't know the voice of the Lord and get into a whole bunch of problems. I'd rather minister less, hear his voice more, so that when I do minister, it comes with the full power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, you go out into the street and you start telling people about Jesus, 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 Jesus. Through me, like, what the heck are you talking about? But you hear the Lord's voice that says, you know what? Why don't you stop talking so much? Just see what this person's going through and watch the Holy Spirit do something. You be able to touch that person's heart. Holy Spirit that person's heart and it's going to just boom it's going to it's going to light up it's going to light up but you don't understand that revelation until you spend time and in intimacy knowing the lord's voice come on now oh lord we want to be a people that minister out of hearing your voice you put the ministering before the voice you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble you put the voice before the ministering oh you're going to have the kingdom of god on how to hear him again I don't think you want me to preach on this. So can we stop now and call the worship team? You're not going to like this. You're not going to like this. How do you hear him? Most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough see the king. Enough Christians repent and say, I got to be saved. Amen. You want to see the kingdom? You want to hear his voice? You got to repent. I'm oh, sorry, Lord, for doing this. I want to get saved. Cool. You're entering the white gates. But when you rend yourself and you say, Lord, create me a clean heart. Burn inside of me. Lord, you are Lord over my life. You have the power and authority to do whatever you want in my life. That's when there's true godly repentance. That's when you start to see the people getting healed. You start seeing the dead rise. You start seeing revival in your community. When you say, Lord, it's not enough for me just to say sorry. I want to give you every little thing in my life that is not pleasing before a holy God. See the kingdom? We got to be a people that repent. He that humble themselves and pray, I shall Look, repentance is, we have a bad, bad understanding in the English of repentance. I'm sorry, Lord. Repentance in Hebrew is teshuvah. It is actually a turning away. You're walking this way and you turn away 180 degrees. So I believe in you. I'm sorry and continue. It is, oh, Lord, I thank you for saving me, but I want to just do everything that is pleasing in your sight because I want to see your name glorified on planet Earth. It's not enough just to get into the pearly white gates. I want to see the kingdom of heaven on earth in my day. I am the candle. You're the flame, Lord. Burn in me and consume all of it. 
For a warning goes forth in the next hero of faith, Saul. Samuel, who has learned this practice, goes to Saul later on. He says, Saul, for obedience is better than sacrifice. Oh, Lord, she's like, I want obedient people that are turning to me, who are saying, you are allowed to have everything. My thoughts, my money, my political views, everything. You get to have them, Lord, because it's yours. Because I want to be obedient. It's better than even lifting up praises. Obedience in your life. If we actually can have worship. So, how do we hear again? One is a level of repentance. Repentance. Lord, I want you to have it all. <clears throat> it's a view that you are the candle and he is the flame, that he shall consume you. It's a notion of, I need to walk in a way that says, you know what? I want to be obedient to the Lord even in the small thing. So I want to see your kingdom. And here's the reality. He, the Holy Spirit, is always speaking. The Lord's not speaking. No, He, he is. He's speaking all the time. Well, you know, I don't know if the Lord's speaking. No, He's, he's speaking. He is speaking all of the time. You just may not be here. If he spoke and all of the world was created, his voice is still going. Oh, he is, he is, he is, he is speaking. We may not be hearing because we may in fact be afraid of what he is saying. I may not be hearing because we are afraid of what he is saying. What he's asking. What is he saying? Yes, he's saying you are loved. Yes, he's saying you are his beloved. Amen. But he's also asking for all of your life. He's asking you to surrender everything. And there's plenty of people in the church who are saved by grace, but do not see the kingdom because they don't want to surrender at all. There are people that will not surrender the thoughts. There are people that will not surrender the action. They will not surrender their time. No, my time is precious to me. I want to do what I want to do. I want to think what I'm going to think. I want to watch what I want to watch. I want to say what I want to say. And I want to be right when I feel I'm right in relationships. So if the Lord is saying, lay it down, lay it all down, lay it all, all down. You will clog your ears so you do not hear him anymore, so you don't have to do what he's calling you to. Some of us are actually running away from responsibility in our walk. The Lord has called you to a position. The Lord has called you to do something in the ministry. The Lord has called you to do something in your family. Called you to be a light at work. Like, I don't want that response. And then the irony here is we then go to the Lord and say, why aren't you talking to me? Well, if he tells you to do something, and you don't do it, you think he's going to tell you more? 
He's going to say, nah, 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 nah. We're going to go back to the other fork of the road. Let's bring you back to back here. I told you to do this. Let's start there. Well, no, I don't want to do that. But can you tell me what to do about something else? He's no. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, but 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 like I, I need I need understanding and revelation on this part of my life. And he says, Well, let's go back a couple years and say, remember when you were supposed to lay that down to me? Come on, he, it's, we're so funny, right? We want him to speak on our terms. We want him to say, Hey, talk to me when it's befitting to me. Come on, it's time to awake. Questions to ask. Have I, in fact, been sleeping in my walk? Hallelujah. Have I let the fire on the candle burn down a little bit? Have you, in fact, been speaking? But I have not been hearing. Because of the voices of the world. The voices of my desire. Have I been hearing you? but not listening. You see, hearing and listening are two very different things. Hearing is you hear the sound. Listening is you apply what you've heard. I'm on, you know that, you're talking to your spouse and, or they're talking to you and they're, they're talking, you hear what they're saying, you're just like, all right, what's going on after this? All right, you may not be listening. It's the Lord's the same way. He may be speaking, but you're not listening. But don't worry, here it is, here it is, right? Have you passed the test to hear his voice? Essentially what I'm saying here is, the Lord asks you to do something, and you say, all right, I'm going to do it. And if you do it, you're going to move on to the next thing. He that is faithful in small things will be faithful in great things. If you can't be faithful in a small thing that the Lord is pulling at your heart, how on earth are you going to hear and handle the voice of the Holy One in big things? But don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. If we see in the story, God goes to Samuel three times. Three times. He's not going to let you go. He's going to keep calling you, even if you have to go back to, to faithfully answer the question that he's asking you 10 years ago. He's going to bring you back. He's not going to give up. He's going to keep talking, keep saying, David, David, David. He's going to call out to you. I want to be a person like Samuel that I will run to your voice. I will rise to you. And I will hear you. Samuel says in Hebrew, Hineni, here I am. But Isaiah says, Hineni, here I am, Shalacheni, send me. Here I am, I receive it, but send me out. I will do what you have asked me. Let's stand. Candle and the flame. Look, I, I don't know what you guys are going through. I don't know. I don't have like some like some some open vision myself where I'm like, oh, you know, Brian is called to do this and he's being disobedient, so that's why he may not be hearing the Lord the way I, I have no idea what the Lord is asking you. I don't know. I don't know. It's not my responsibility. It's the responsibility that you have before the Lord. So none of the games of like, oh, the pastor's calling me out and he thinks that I'm supposed to do this, but I'm not doing it. Dude, I 
do not know the Lord's voice that well. That could be like, oh, the Lord is actually really telling you that you are too, blah, 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 blah. I don't know that. And even if I did, I'm not going to go to you and tell you that. Eli doesn't do that. Eli says, go rest, lay down, be with the Lord, and learn intimacy. Then you'll hear the And I do know that, that we are to learn his intimacy. Amen? Father, we thank you for Pentecost, for Shavuot, the coming of the fire, the coming of the tongues of fire in the upper room. We thank you, Lord, that you have orchestrated this service today, whereby we see your handwork. We see you orchestrating worship. We see you orchestrating the power of testimonies of people. And we see you orchestrating the word. And you're bringing it all together for a rich experience, the understanding that I am the candle, you are the flame. We are the candle, you are the flame. Father, we come before you and we say, Lord, you have power. You have authority to trim the fat, to trim the wax around the wick. Oh, Lord God, let us have those wicks our lives that are exposed to you that just says, oh, fire, holy fire, holy fire, come on down. Esh Kadosh, Esh Kadosh, fire of holiness of the Lord. We pray, Lord God, right now, Esh Kadosh, holy fire to fall, to fall in our midst, oh God. Lord, without condemnation, but just a beautiful conviction of your love, show us if there are things that you have asked of us but we have chosen not to respond because of our fear and our anxiety. Speak to us again. Lord, if there's people here whose fires, whose fires are, are dwindling a little bit, Lord, just like you did to Samuel, right before the fire's about to go out, oh, won't you come and stand? Won't you come and speak and awaken us? Awaken us to receive your fire. Yes, Lord. Feel free to go downstairs and have some refreshments. Feel free to leave if need be. And feel free to tell people about the comedy night. But after today, I just, I just want to have an invitation for those people that want to come down, receive prayer. Your candle needs a little tending to Come on down. We want to pray for you to walk in intimacy. So we can have uh, if we can have Bill come on down. If we can have Annabelle come on down. Bill, Annabelle. If we can have Alan come on down. We got Ramon, Pastor Ramon here. If you just want some prayer. Like, man, I, I want to hear the Lord's voice. Something's been blocking it. Come on down. We want to just minister to you. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you downstairs. God bless.